Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 90 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, give us a thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube, share us around on social media, and we would greatly appreciate if you did. Joining me tonight is my regular co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you this evening, sir? Oh, I'm here. You sound thrilled. I'm here. You know, that's that's why I like to say it worked, too, when people ask, uh, how's it going? Like, uh, I'm here. Uh yeah, that's a that, that used to be my response when I went to work. Like, what 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 are you up to? I'm like fucking here, man. That's about the minimum requirement, you know. Just uh, you know, I'm here, cool. So, well, you should be more excited. We got a ton of fun stuff to talk about tonight. Lots of fun stuff going on. We got uh, Wednesday night wrestling. We got uh, a a rare Sunday night NXT event coming up. Which, uh, good luck me remembering it's on uh, Sunday night. I'm gonna be all thrown off. Be crazy. I, 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 I don't know. It'd be weird. Don't feel bad. There are actually a lot of people that didn't even realize it was on Sunday because people were like, oh, there's a takeover Saturday. And people were like, uh, no, it's Sunday. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah, we will, we'll talk about, uh, we will talk about the build to take over and we will preview takeover Portland as well. But, uh, Steve kind of, as always, we, uh, we have to hit a, a quick news roundup because there is, all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. Um, the first thing I want to say is if anybody is looking for me in the month of March, I almost am relocating to Japan because there's like 15 New Japan shows in March. So you'll know where to find me. I will be a little busy in March. There's a lot to cover. But um, speaking of New New Japan, that's my uh, semi-lame segue. Steve Cook... You got to watch the John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki war. What were your thoughts on this epic clash? It was pretty much what I expected from those two gentlemen. I mean, they're both batshit crazy. They're both insane. They're, neither one of them is particularly mentally stable. So it's the kind of uh, shenanigans and nonsense and just uh, all-out buffoonery that I was hoping for. I absolutely love that match because, as you said, they are both quite insane. Um, To me, there is nothing better during these matches to where one man thinks he has the advantage on Suzuki. And then Suzuki just starts smiling and laughing like a maniacal asshole. Oh, yeah. And it's like just the greatest thing in the world. He is so good. Um, I love Suzuki. I love Moxley. I thought... I thought it was an excellent battle. The best part about that match is it was completely different than anything else you were going to find on that show. And I I actually liked the positioning, even though I was slightly worried about it because it came after uh, Dragon Lee and Hiromu Takahashi, which had an absolutely excellent match as well. Obviously a completely different style. But um, was slightly worried to uh, see the reaction, but... um, they delivered, and I think the big part of that was just the overall stylistic difference and separating itself from the rest of the card the way they did. Which you'd expect nothing less from uh, two uh, from two maniacs like those two, that's for sure. And uh, big old Bill Moxley got the win, so he's still kicking it as the uh, United States champion. And I'm not gonna lie, I was surprised on that. I, I really thought we were getting the title change, and um. 
Yeah, he, he, he mostly retains, and then they're setting up an extremely interesting match, one that I did not think we'd be moving to at all, Moxley versus Zack Sabre Jr., which will be a gigantic Styles clash. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how uh, old Zack Sabre's going to fare in that kind of environment. It's uh, not, quite his, not quite his thing this time. He's more about the British tile and the joint manipulation and all that bullshit. So it'll be interesting to see. The best one was they. There was a post-match comments from both of them, and he, fucking Sabers calling him like Jonathan Darling and just like running him down and shit. And then you have fired up, pissed off Moxley, who's like, "So shit got really interesting. The human fucking udon noodle attacked me." <laughs> <laughs> it was just like it was so good. They were short, but they were really good promos and. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really interesting. Just interested to see how that one plays out. Um, Moxley's a busy man. That's right. So, Steve, recently we have been talking some uh, vintage and retro TNA, and um, as we prepare for the TNA, there's no place like home show over WrestleMania weekend. And a quick update on that show: they're going very old school TNA, Steve, as yes. they have confirmed both Ultimate X and the King of the Mountain for the show. Oh boy. They're going to have a King of Mountain match without Jeff Jarrett. What the hell? Uh, how can you do that? That's, it seems I like sacrilege. Know. It sure does. It sure does. And I, don't, I, I was never particularly a fan of that match format, to be honest with you. They were very hit and miss for me. There are usually quite the, there's usually quite the amount of bullshit going on in any yeah. given moment. <clears throat> there were some I really enjoyed. A couple I think bordered on great, but then there were some where I was just like, it felt like a big mess. So um, we'll see how they do here. I mean, I think one advantage theoretically is we don't have Vince Russo booking it. Are we sure Vince Russo is not going to be involved? Oh, there are reports that they have tried. They're trying to get him and uh, Dixie Carter to appear. So. Sure. We'll see, but I highly doubt he would be involved in booking anything. I think they just, by all reports, they just want Russo there to get some heat and maybe draw some interest. So, can't blame him for trying to make a buck. Right. Just don't let him anywhere near the book. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you probably don't have to worry about that with, uh, unless somebody at Anthem falls in love with the guy. Well, who knows, dude? I mean, to say that Anthem are a bunch of carny marks is, uh, pretty safe considering they bought an entire network for their company. <laughs> well, it's a, a tradition unlike any other. So moving on to something that has, it's always going to piss people off, Steve, the overreaction to the WWE hall of fame stuff. Mm. We have Batista and the NWO going in. It's like, that's fine. Yep. I don't care. That's, that's good. Um, I, I never really get too worked up about the hall of fame because it is what it is, for lack of a better phrase. It's it's whoever Vince McMahon wants in. It's whoever they want to try to make nice with. And the big rumor that came out on Wednesday was that Jushin Thunder Liger is the international entry, and the Bella Twins are going to go into the Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame. Steve, do you, do you have any thoughts on this at all? I think they're all deserving inductees. Obviously. I mean, Jushin Thunder, Thunder Liger, one of the great light heavyweights of all time, whether it be in whether it be in New Japan or his stint over in World Championship Wrestling or that match he had in NXT or anywhere else he went, he was uh, top-notch. And we talked about the Liger special earlier this year. He's 
he's hung it up. So a fine time put him in the Hall of Fame, I think. And well, you know how I feel about the Bell Twins. Just uh, two two top notch individuals, uh, both former Divas champions. Uh, a, a key focal point of the whole Divas revolution. So I have I and I know that it's gonna rub some people the wrong way because they have always rubbed some people the wrong way going back as far as I can remember. It's tough to be a member of the Bella army here on the interweb because you have a bunch of people that are that ha- have a problem with the idea that women can wrestle and also have a problem with the idea that uh, beautiful women can wrestle. But uh, yeah, I, uh, they didn't start off so great. I mean, Nikki and Brie weren't the greatest wrestlers heading at the start of their career, but uh, I think they both kind of, they both worked at it. They both, uh, both kept working and working and working. And, I think Nikki especially uh, got to a really good point in the ring, and Bree had her moments as well. So I, I don't see how anybody can have a problem with this unless they're just uh, lame. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I said, I, I generally really don't care about the WWE Hall of Fame stuff. I just know it's it's already gotten a bunch of overreaction and backlash. I, I look at it for what it is. It's WWE's little celebration deal. It's who Vince wants in. Liger is obviously deserving of any Hall of Fame. And in terms of WWE, if they want to put the Bellas in, fine. Don't don't really care. It's, it is it is what it is, you know? I mean, people are going to bitch no matter what. And, I mean, I, I think it's fine. I really don't care. I just, I find it amusing that the, the instant backlash it's already getting, you know? It's not even officially announced yet, and it's like, we're fucking burning crosses on Nikki and Bree's lawn, for Christ's sake. It's like, Jesus. The one problem I have, it, it just does kind of remind me that Nikki and Bree are pretty much done and not coming back. Well, I mean, I think that I think that was pretty safe to say, considering their age and that they both announced that they're pregnant recently. So, and then you have Nikki's neck issues and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that that was I think that that was pretty much a given. But um, yeah, just I a mean, minor point, you know. no, no, and I, I understand that. And I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't have minded seeing them pop back in, like if they were going to do another Evolution pay-per-view to challenge for the tag titles or something, because I know people will want to dispute this, but they do have some name value still. Yep. And, like, if you're going to do that Evolution pay-per-view, and, like, they tried to treat the first one kind of as an overall celebration, they had brought some names back from the past, um, I would have saw no problem with them popping in and doing a match, because you know they were probably going to lose. And it's just again, if it's like a celebration thing, I don't, I don't care. It's 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 fine. I I think it's one of those things that is going to made out to be way much of a bigger deal than it actually is. People love to do that, man. So, and uh, speaking of uh, guys that maybe people that maybe done Steve Cook, looks like on Monday Night Raw, Matt Hardy was written out of the company. His contract is coming up here. The end of February slash beginning of March, depending on which source you want to go by. Some say the 28th, some say the 1st. There has been long speculation that he is AEW bound, possibly as the exalted one in the Dark Order. And JR, I don't know if he slipped or he wanted to drop a little clue tonight, but there was a segment on uh, AEW Dynamite where all the tag teams were brawling to set up next week's Battle Royal. The Young Bucks hit the ring and JR dropped a Bucks of Youth line. Yes, he did. <laughs> Which, if you guys remember, that was uh, Matt Hardy's uh, name for the Young Bucks when they had their little feud in Ring of Honor, the Bucks of Youth. And so it looks like Matt Hardy was written out with a Randy Orton concerto. I thought it was actually a really good segment on Roth. I thought Matt cut a good promo. 
uh, made sense, played into his history with Edge. And Steve, I mean, do you think this is it for Matt Hardy in WWE? Eh, is it ever it for somebody in WWE? I don't know about that. I think we, we'll probably see him back in some form down the line. I think for now it's it. I think that, uh, and I think it's for the best for both parties. Matt doesn't seem like he's uh, uh, most thrilled to be there these days. He's not really getting to use his creative juices. He's kind of uh, kind of been cut back as far as that goes. He hadn't been doing a whole heck of a lot since Jeff got hurt. One doing a whole heck of a lot before Jeff got hurt, to be honest with you. So I think it's for the best for both sides that Matt move on at this point. And... I think, and we've mentioned it before on the show, that uh, I think a perfect uh, way to uh, continue the, the Dark Order thing would be to, in fact, have Broken Matt Hardy as the Exalted One. It makes all the sense in the world. So, and I think we're going to find out sooner rather than later, Steve, because I believe that, when I look at the date here, it looks like he could debut as soon as March 4th. Which would be, you know, coming the Wednesday coming out of the pay-per-view, which, as we know by, you know, traditional wrestling standards, a post-pay-per-view show normally sees a slight ratings bump because there's interest coming out of a pay-per-view. And if Matt Hardy happens to debut on that show with a slightly bigger audience, could be a good thing to pop numbers going forward. And, you know, those types of shows are usually when you uh, kind of start kicking off your next big angles as well. Exactly. Uh, speaking of pay-per-views and big angles, uh, the arena for the Elimination Chamber has already spoiled the Elimination Chamber lineup. It's going to be the Big Dog, Braun Strowman, Nakamura, King Corbin, Daniel Bryan, and Robert Roode fighting for the right to go to WrestleMania, Steve. So Roman Reigns is going to WrestleMania, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Seems, okay. Certainly seems no, that no way. That's fine. I have no, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Did you see Roman did an interview and he was talking about who he'd want to face at WrestleMania? He talked about how he'd rather face the Fiend at WrestleMania rather than Goldberg because the Fiend has been putting in his time and he's more about the now than looking at the past. And all I'm thinking is, have you watched the fucking Fiend's matches in the last year, brother? <laughs> I think it's uh, very admirable on Roman Reigns' part to not want the matchup that would make him more money. <laughs> I mean, company man to the end. God bless the big dog, but I mean, I don't know. I I'm, and I've I've seen some people even speculate that that might be the direction they end up going in because would either of us really be that surprised if Goldberg beat the team? Well, here's my only sticking point to that because I would actually love to see Goldberg just spear and jackhammer him and fucking kill him in under a minute. Because it would be done and it would be the best Fiend match ever. Yeah. But here's the thing. You have to remember the KSA and the Saudis do control a lot on that show. Do you think that the Saudis, given the whole dynamic and the fact that Sami Zayn's not allowed in the country, do you really think they're going to want a Jewish world champion crowned on their show? Well, they keep putting him in main events. I don't know what the... I, mean, I was surprised they brought him in for the Undertaker match to begin with. I mean, that's a good point, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, if they had Goldberg win, and I know a lot of people are going to kind of shit on I don't think it would be the worst idea. I kind of feel like, I mean, Israel and Saudi Arabia are getting along a lot better than they used to. Uh, that, that'd They're be kind good. of on the same side of the whole uh, geopolitical map these days with uh, you know certain things and whatnot. 
Alrighty. Not to dive too much into that. But. Yeah. We, I, I'd, I'd rather not overall, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. And whatnot. Yeah, let's kind of stay away from that for now. And the last thing on the news roundup, Steve, is New Japan Pro Wrestling announced over the weekend that they're returning to Madison Square Garden on August 22nd. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing to, to this is it's going to be head-to-head with NXT TakeOver, which takes place in Boston that night over SummerSlam weekend. Yeah, Boston, New York, that's not, I don't think that's too big a deal. Well, I mean, you're going to be relying on travel, like, you know, heavy travel crowds for both shows. I don't think it's necessarily the smartest move because, I mean, people don't like to remember this, but the reason the first MSG show sold out was based on the speculation that Cody and the Young Bucks were working that show and that yeah. Kenny Omega and Okada were going to be main eventing the show, which was the original plan. And we never know that it'll be happening this time. None of that happened, but because of when the tickets went on sale, they sold out almost instantly, and the big scalper would catch up too on it. But the fact was, it sold out. But it's going to be head-to-head with the TakeOver, and at this time, the rumors are that there will be some ROH and NWA participation, probably world title matches from both. But we will not have any John Moxley or Chris Jericho because while they have acceptances in their deals to work for New Japan, they cannot work New Japan in the United States. Yeah. So, so here, go ahead. I have a quick question. Yeah. Random one. Who would you want Nick Aldis to defend the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against? Well, that's that is depending <laughs> that Nick Aldis is the world champion. Well, why wouldn't he be? He's always a world champion. Always a world champion. I know he's got a match coming up with Marty Scroll, but let's be honest. Um, t- I tell you what, right now, if I'm, I think one possibility is that Marty wins at the Crockett Cup and they rematch at the at the Madison Square Garden show. Yeah, could be, could be. So, but I, I want to see you want to see Nick Aldis against like uh, Goto, <laughs> or like fucking uh, <laughs> uh, Big Tom Ishii. How about that? Oh, that'd be fucking great, obviously. See, and uh, pe- people like, and, and I even jokingly make fun of Goto because his booking's so shit. But I mean, Goto still delivers in big matches, so it'd probably be really good to great match. Um, yeah. Depending on, see, the thing is, that was like, I don't think you want to book like an Aldis versus Ishii match because I don't think <laughs> Nick Aldis is going to want to work that style. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> because Ishii will take an ass whooping, but he's also going to give some out. So I, I don't think Sir Nicholas would want to. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to fancy book like Aldis versus Minoru Suzuki. I think would also be fun. <laughs> okay, so now you want Aldis to die? I got it. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> It'd be fun. Uh, so Steve, do you think that um, they will come close or sell out Madison Square Garden a second time? Mm, it's gonna be tough. It's it's gonna be a tough sell this time. I don't know. I don't know if they'll sell it out. I think they'll have a decent number, and uh, I'm I'm not surprised about this because we talked earlier. We t- we've talked before on the show about how they kind of backloaded the schedule due to the Olympics. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that would be right around the time of the Olympics, right? The, yeah. Yeah. So that gives it that'd be a good time for kind of do something over here. So it makes sense. And I don't think it was like this whole thing, like, oh, we're going to go against SummerSlam and TakeOver and all that stuff. It was, it was convenient. It's when, it's when they could get the arena. Okay, so 17000 or so roughly is a sellout in Madison Square Garden. If they don't sell out, what do you think would be a good number? 
What do you think they'd come away happy with if they don't sell out? Mm, what would they be happy with? I think if you get at least 10,000, you're doing all right, I would think. I, think, I might be completely wrong on that, but that's kind of what I'm what I'm spitballing out there. I think if I had the math right, because it does cost a lot to run the garden due to the New York stuff and the uh, union and all that, I think they're probably going to need about twelve five to become profitable on the show. So I, I think if they can get thirteen, they walk away happy. But I think if you do less than that, it's a little disappointing. I'm not going to say it's a disaster, but I'm going to say disappointing. Yeah. So, but we will find out, and um, so that's going to take us into the normal Wednesday night, Steve. We have yeah. Dynamite, we have NXT, and um, a very busy night of action overall, Steve Cook. We obviously have JRX Caliber and Tony on commentary. We get a Dark Order promo before the tag title match where they wish everybody luck. Remind nice us. Enough. Yes, they're a very nice gentlemen. They remind us that they are waiting on the exalted one and that they tease that there are many they are many and they are closer than you think, which led to Christopher Daniels rushing to the back to search for them so that yeah, they would that, hopefully that not get involved. And obviously that, that doesn't seem suspicious. Yeah. Oh. Obviously they're continuing the tease of, you know, Daniels may be the exalted one. And I think that's good though, because I think you wanna tease more than one person. And I think like yeah. You're, you're teasing Daniels, obviously, and I think on the really, really low end, and I don't think it would ever be him, but I actually think between like the stuff on AEW Dark and stuff, and um, like being the elite, they've actually done a low key job of teasing that it could be the Bucks' best friend, Brandon Cutler, because he constantly talks about losing all of his matches, and he needs to change, and he needs to do something. And again, I don't think it would ever be him, but what I'm saying is I think they're doing a nice low-key job of, well, maybe it could be him. Cause he it could be, be a member, sure. Yeah, but I mean, it would be totally out of the box. But I mean, I do like the kind of heavy-handed Daniels teases. And even JR kind of being like, oh, well, that seems... He even said that seems a little suspicious that he would run right to the back. <laughs> we could, I'm sure Christopher Daniels is a trustworthy individual. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, anybody that, you know, shares the sandals back at wrestling school, good good man. Indeed. So, uh, but we opened up with the AEW Tag Team Championship match, Steve Cook, and this was the champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page retaining and defeating SCU at around 13 minutes via pin, Steve. What did you think of this opener? I got to tell you, I mean, they've kind of, uh, they've kind of gotten to this pattern of opening these shows with some kick-ass tag team wrestling matches which i for one definitely appreciate and this is another one in the vein of those i continue to enjoy megan page as a tag team page it continues just i mean he's improved leaps and bounds here the fans are really buying into his stuff and great hot tag offense by adam page too the guy just waylays people that's good stuff and i thought him and kane did good work and kazarian sky were good in their role as well just uh good Good old-fashioned, crazy tag team wrestling. You know, you had your your dives and things like that. And I'm I'm sure Omega did some jazz hands. So I didn't really notice it. I did notice. Uh, <laughs> I noticed somebody. Could, I think it was Jr. who was comparing Omega's arm drags to Ricky Steamboat just to troll Jim Cornette, which I thought was pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is good stuff. I enjoyed it. And uh, the only thing I didn't particularly care for was when. Uh, they hit the finish on Kazarian, and Kazarian was trying to kick it. It looked kind of weak to me. 
Well, I mean, there there's been some speculation that he got legit knocked out on that. So he might have been like doing the old. Uh, he might have not been trying to get up and not knowing it. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, could have so, been because I don't, he did get he got knocked on that. Too. Yeah, because I don't. I mean, I I think Kazarian is enough of a vet and everything that he wouldn't be a dick like that to his friends. Do the kick out on three shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, but, look, they hit it pretty good. I'll give yeah. him that. So I, I do think he got knocked a little loopy, but uh, yeah, I thought this was a great all action opener, uh, kind of thing you love to start a show off with. Had you still have that little bit of drama between Paige and Kenny, and I'm um, again like you, I'm greatly enjoying that. I think it's one of the best things they're doing right now. And then this was followed um the Dark Order arrived, which led to the best friends and pretty much all the other tag teams arriving for a big brawl, which was to sell next week's uh. Tag Team Number One Contenders Battle Royal with the winner getting a title shot at the pay-per-view. And uh, the Dark Order ended up powdering. The Bucks hit the ring. They stood tall, hit Dodge to take everybody out at the end. And that continues the build they've been doing to uh, the elite members clashing. And, you know, it certainly looks like a Young Bucks win next week in the Battle Royal. Uh, wouldn't be surprising. Um, it was, I was wondering what happened to Chris for Daniels. He did a pretty good job of trying to find Dark Order. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a big building, Steve. What are you <laughs> they walk on down a ring. He's still not where we're seeing. So. <laughs> Good job, Chris, on that one. But uh, I was impressed by that. And I also enjoyed Orange Cassidy uh, going up against the Young Bucks during the commercial break. That is pretty good stuff. Yes, they were they were trading spring. vicious kicks. It was oh, it was brutal. I'm just I'm su- I'm surprised nobody got injured. Seriously, yeah. That so. that they they had some stuff in that split screen tonight that I think we needed to see more of, and we'll probably touch on a little bit more of that here in a little bit agree uh so earlier in the day we had a jim ross sit down interview with santana uh, i thought this was really really great um santana was talking about how 10 years ago he was in a dark place he was broke had no direction so he called his father for help and he talked about how his father was the one that could relate to him because he lived in the dark because he started going blind at the age of 14 they talked about how his father was taking from him and uh, taken from him, and he's had to live with that. Jim Ross talked about Moxley was trying to get revenge last week because of what Jericho did, and did. And Santana said that Moxley had the chance to join them, but pissed it all away. He built his own coffin, and he was going to put him in the dark tonight. I thought this was really good, and I thought it was a great follow up to that promo we got from Santana last week, showing some nice talking chops here. He's doing, yeah, he's been doing, they've been getting some opportunities here the last couple weeks, and he's done pretty good with them. It kind of got close to the point where it seemed a little too baby but I thought the announcers were good afterwards, kind of pointing out that, uh, you know, Santana was saying all this stuff, but he still wasn't, he wasn't taking responsibility for his own actions. Right. And then we got another Darby Allen video package. He cannot talk still due to Sammy driving the skateboard into his throat. So he was basically taking a page out of Sammy's book and using um, cue cards to send a yeah. message to him and basically said he was going to find him and uh, kick his ass at Revolution. And uh, he also included a lovely drawing that said uh, Sammy had herpes from kissing Jericho's ass. Yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a bad problem for the champion. That's right. Uh, so. not, not good. I thought I this was a out. I thought this was a fun little creative video, and again, I like that they're selling the fact that he was injured, he cannot talk, instead oh. of you know him just trying to do a gravelly voice two weeks later, and I'm okay, rah rah rah, you know. <laughs> and they're keeping him mixed too, which is important. 
Exactly. So we had some, uh, yeah, it looks like we're setting them up for the pay-per-view. And speaking of Sammy Guevara, he had a rematch with Dustin Rhodes. They had previously faced off a few weeks back. Dustin Rhodes beat Sammy at a hair under uh, seven minutes via pin. Thought it was a good match. And fucking Dustin, man, is still so really good. Isn't it crazy, man? I mean, he just, uh, I don't know. He needs to give us his, that down of youth, I'm telling you, because he just goes out there and it looks like Dustin Rhodes in his prime. He is. I mean, it's just everything he does is clean. It's good. He still has so much snap on that snap slam. You know, and then, like, he's fucking busting out the destroyer here and there and just stuff like that. But, like, Dustin is just, like, such a good fucking professional wrestler. Sammy, again, I I don't know if, you know, we've talked about Sammy a lot. He is adapted to TV so well, so quickly. You know, we're like 19 weeks into AEW's existence, and he had no TV experience before this. Yeah, and I can kind of see where I think I, I think you said in your recap as well that uh, you might not have had Sammy take the loss here, but uh, I thought it was fine to get to, you know, since they, already, they had previously had a match, and they're tied, at, they're tied at one. And also you have uh, Dustin being set up for a match too. Yeah, so again, good match, and the, the whole setup was for the post-match where... Dustin called out Jake Hager. He called him Jericho's bitch, told him he wanted him to stop collecting a check for doing nothing, said he was a failure in MMA, and he wants a match with him at Revolution. And yeah, like, my only criticism to the whole thing is Dustin and Hager makes complete sense because Hager broke his arm. I would have really loved if someone else could have taken the loss, though, because if you're booking Sammy and Darby at the pay-per-views, Sammy really shouldn't lose. It's a very small point. Um, but I think overall the segment worked well because it was a good match and you set up a pay-per-view match that made sense. But I just want, you know, you have to be honest there. I do think it's a small nitpick that has some validity to it. I get you. So. Can't all be perfect, no matter what yeah, company but, it is. Well, like I said, I think it I think it also sets up the inevitable rubber match between these two somewhere down the line. This is true. So we got highlights of Britt Baker busting out Yuka's teeth last week, which yeah. led to Tony and Britt Baker, the best couple in wrestling. <laughs> They're so adorable together, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And uh, Colbert, watch out as long as I am. That's right. So uh, Tony interviewed Britt Baker. She mocked him right away. A lot of, you know, God bless, he's trying. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh but uh, she was asked about breaking uh, Yuka's teeth last week, and she says that she stayed ethical and improved Yuka's health because that tooth had excessive decay and was going to come out anyway, so she took it out for free. For free, yeah. <laughs> Yuka walked out there as an unknown and likely uh, doesn't have health insurance. Probably not. And then she ran on Tony but says, but Tony does because he works at Starbucks. That's right. I don't think I was throwing Tony down. I was giving Tony a compliment. He's got he's got health care. Good That's for right. him. So Tony asked her about the upcoming uh, Riho versus Nyla title match that night, and Britt said she thinks it's gonna it's gonna be a fantastic match. But at the end of the day, they're both still gonna be number two to her. She made yeah. fun of the crowd for being fatties from eating Whataburger. <laughs> Reminds us that she's a role model with two degrees and that she is the women's division because she was the first one signed. And she made a statement last week. She was really good here and she had some great heat for this. They fucking hated her. Yeah, I think she's kinda she's getting on the right track here. We know she had the 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 first voyage is a little difficult on the boat, but since then she's kind of she's getting things going now. 
this is this is very good stuff here. And Whataburger got free plugs. That was nice. There you go. So speaking of Ro- Riho versus Nyla Rose, that led to the women's championship match, Steve Cook. And in this match, Nyla Rose defeated our champion Riho at twelve twenty via pin. Steve, what did you think of the women's title match? I gotta tell you, I was not too high on this going in. I mean, Nyla's stuff's been kind of hit or miss, and Riho uh, is good at being effective babyface, but uh, not quite on the level of some of the other women's matches we see on TV. But man, these two worked pretty darn hard. They they went out there, they got at it, and you had uh, you had Riho taking a beating as you would expect her to, and Nyla was doing her thing, and they worked really hard. They got the fans behind them, and I enjoyed it. It was good stuff. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And honestly, it was probably one of the best AEW women's singles matches so far. I thought that everything worked really well. Riho is a great baby face. And Nyla Rose was a really good monster here. So they played their roles very well. I thought the layout was good. I thought the work delivered. And as you mentioned, crowd was into this big time. Yep. So, um, really enjoyed it. I think definitely um, a good night for the AEW women's division between Brits promo and a match that delivered, you know. So, no complaints from me. Yeah. I think the one complaint I would have is something we kind of alluded to a little bit earlier. After after Nyla wins the title and has their celebration, they go to the split screen again during the commercial. And then you see Nyla go backstage and you see, uh, I think, as, as Tony Khan staying there and Omega staying there and... Uh, like Tony congratulate her, and then her and Kenny appeared to have this conversation, and I would really like to hear what the conversation was about. I can kind of imagine what like, the Kenny probably wasn't too happy, and I was probably rubbing it in, but I think that would have been uh, good for us to hear. Yes, I agree with that. She was talking some shit to Kenny, and as, as you mentioned, Tony Khan made a brief cameo. The other women were there. I was hoping that Tony Khan was going to take the Triple H Mark photo with uh, the new champion. <laughs> the employee of the month, Bardo. so yeah it would have been nice to uh see what she said there i do agree with that so we got a promo with jericho in the inner circle he ran down john moxley and said you know he has to defend the title against him but he had plans for next week he had gone out and hired an assassin a bounty hunter to take out john moxley and next week john moxley will be facing the debuting jeff cobb oh Yes. The adorable Hawaiian Buddha juggernaut, Jeff Cobb. Very very excited about uh, seeing some Jeff Cobb here in AEW. So, that man is just, that man is an ass kicker. Um, by all reports, for everybody wondering, he has not signed with AEW yet. His ROH contract ended at the end of 2019. He is a free agent, and AEW just booked him. A little, ca- a little cameo appearance. I mean, they referenced him as a hired gun a, a bounty hunter if you will that's right so i like that uh, you were getting a fresh face in there getting a fresh match um good stuff they hyped uh the cody and wardlow cage match for next week that led to brandy Rhodes joining commentary for mjf versus the jungle boy steve yes and uh, uh brandy Rhodes is no longer having nightmares that's uh, kind of all, but that's all over with now. That you had the video on YouTube where she had some therapy, and now she's kind of over that. And it's, it's all water, water under the bridge. Everything's cool now. That's right. They've ended the Nightmare Collective, and I think one positive we'll definitely say out of the Nightmare Collective thing is the fact that AEW realized they made a mistake. Nobody fucking liked it. 
it wasn't working on any level, and they got rid of it. Yep. So. Nothing wrong with that. And they, I get, and Kong's having some injury problems and whatnot. Yeah, and and she's going back to film glow. And um, judging by AEW Dark, they're uh, setting up Dr. Luther versus Jimmy Havoc at some point. So, Well, those are two guys that uh, have a lot in common. <laughs> yes. So... But uh, we had our co-main event here. MJF defeating the Jungle Boy eleven fifty via pin. Uh, first of all, Steve, the crowd I thought was fucking great for this. Well, they, MJF was very popular with the yeah, with the folks. Yes, they, they they absolutely hated MJF. <laughs> Jungle Boy was over big. I thought they had a really good match, and obviously MJF was always going to win going into the pay per view. Um, and he did. He looked good, but I also thought Jungle Boy got to impress again. Uh, he delivered in another really good outing here, which is always important. Uh, really enjoyed this. I thought it was also nice to have a MJF get in a quality match ahead of the Cody match. I thought as well. Yeah, it was. I think uh, something MJF had probably been missing up until this point was uh, a good quality uh, wrestling appearance on on television. He said he had the uh, he had, he won the uh, the ring, the Battle Royal and whatnot. He had that one match with uh, is with Hangman Page, right? Yeah, and they had like a good, but it wasn't like anything special match. Right, it was just it was a match that was decent, and uh, I thought this was a step up from that. And uh, they were kind of teasing on commentary and whatnot that uh, this this is a match featuring two guys that are going to be big time players in AEW. Uh, Probably a few years down the road, this could be like a main event for a pay per view kind of match. Well, I mean, honestly, hopefully for them it is. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, if if AEW, you know, God, God willing, is still around in like seven years, these guys are going to be twenty nine and thirty at that point. They're going to be hitting that like stride in their career. So theoretically, I mean, MJF is obviously a great heel. He's a he's a he's a really solid worker. Like I wouldn't call him a great worker at this point. He does a lot of great little things during his matches, but I haven't seen a lot of what I would call great MJF matches. Jungle Boy is obviously a dude with a ton of potential as a babyface. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could see seven years down the line that these guys could be main event guys. I mean, obviously, and, MJF is on his way now to it. But. Yeah. Yeah, and Jungle Boy definitely had an impressive showing. And it was, it was nice for uh, because, you know, MJF can't actually achieve anything on his own, nor should he. I'm not saying that he should because... He's a he's a jackass. He shouldn't do anything on his own. So of course the Wardlow should come back down and give him the ring to knock out Jungle Boy with. Yeah, and then there was also a point during the match where MJF yelled up the brandy on commentary, said he's a real man, and he was grabbing his <laughs> dick. So he's uh yes, quite the well, asshole. Brandy point out that is actually a signal to Wardlow to come out. That's <laughs> what that was. <laughs> so and post match the Wardlow laid out the Jungle Boy. Yeah, Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt did not get there quite in time, which I, I don't think Wardlow won any part of Marco Stunt. That's right. Uh, so next week, Steve, we have a nice lineup here for next week. We have Cody versus the Wardlow in the big cage match. We have John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb. We have the big number one contenders tag team battle royal with a shot at the tag titles at the pay-per-view on the line. And then we have a tag title match. Playing off of last week's eight-man match where the Lucha Bros picked up the win on Adam Page, the Lucha Bros are challenging Kenny Omega and Adam Page for the tag titles. Good-looking lineup for next week. Yeah, it's nice to see the Lucha Brothers be rewarded for uh, having good showing in these two matches. 
That's right. Um, we got a pack video package, uh, really good, hyping up his upcoming match with Kenny Omega. I thought he was really good here. Again, I like how the production for his videos are very different than all the other videos you would traditionally see on the show. Shot in black and white, maybe a little more of a grainy quality to them. And they're hyping up that 30-minute uh, 30 Iron Man match that takes place in two weeks, Steve. Yes, they are. And uh, we're booking ahead, too. I like how they have things announced for upcoming shows. And not just next week. Or Sometimes you don't have stuff announced next week on some of these shows, let's be honest. That's right. And then they, they confirmed that uh, Dustin Rhodes and Jake Hagar has been added to Revolution. So that we had uh, that as official, which again, good. We're adding a pay per view match, and we mm-hmm. teased Darby and Sammy for the pay per view as well on this show, and that led to the champion Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hagar heading to a luxury suite as everybody sang along to Judas. Very nice. So, and then we had so main event: John Moxley facing off with Santana. John Moxley, as you would imagine, defeated Santana eleven and a half minutes via pin. Steve, what did you think of our main event? Another impressive showing for Moxley against a member of the inner, inner circle. I thought Santana uh, looked good with what he got to do. Uh, you had the you had the eye for the eye, so you had both guys going after each other's eye, and yeah, a bunch of crazy shenanigans start the match. People just brawling all over the place because that's what we do at doing John Moxley matches. We brawl over the place, and it's good stuff. And frankly, it stands out for it, like just like on New Japan show, it stood out from. Everything else on the AW show in a good way. Yeah, and addressing that, I, I like in my review, I said that was a smart stylistic change from the rest of the show with that early brawling in the crowd and stuff. Because you want to try to separate things. Like, not every match can be the opening tag match. Not every match can be your white meat baby face versus douchey heel MJF jungle boy match. You have to mix things up, and I think that's good that you're, you, know, you try to change things up as much as you can in all the matches. Thought they had a really good outing. You know, Santana hadn't worked a singles match in over 400 days since the one he worked in Impact. Looked really good here, even in defeat. Again, Moxley won, which he should have. And we got a really good post-match angle um, as Ortiz attacked attacked Moxley. The rest of the inner circle arrived from the luxury box. They beat the shit out of him. Sammy had a beautiful-looking 630. Jericho laid him out with the Judas effect. And then big Jeffrey Cobb arrived and hit the tour That's of the right. islands to stand tall. That's right. Good. That was a that was a good solid way in the show in my book. Get get some good heat on the heels. Have the bay face take the beat down and uh, have the big the new debuting guy come down lay out the top bay face. I thought that was good stuff. Yeah. So again, I thought that was a really good way to open the show or close the show. And uh, I, it was awesome that they were able to get Cobb this week ahead of his debut next week. I thought that was really nice to, like you said, get a little get a little more heat there and to uh, maybe develop some more excitement as well heading into that. Because like a lot of people know who Jeff Cobb is. We know who Jeff Cobb is. But maybe everybody in the arena yeah. that saw the video wasn't exactly sure who Jeff Cobb was. And then right. they got to see him. So like a nice little reward. Yeah, get to, get to see the monster come out and... Uh, I know, that, and he is a monster. I know the one thing he's he's kind of lacking in the height department, but other than that, the man's a beast. J- Jeffrey Cobb may be short, but he is yeah. built like a brick shit house. <laughs> he is. <Which laughs> he is. And just, got that legitimate sports put, background. Put too. this in your noodle, dude. Him and Dan Moff have been tagging in ROH. Oh boy. I mean, like, talk about like facing off with a pair of buses. <laughs> mm, indeed. So. 
But that was AEW, and that leads us to, obviously, NXT for the same date, February 12th. And we started off with Roderick Strong arriving to the ring. Roddy was not happy about the Velveteen Dream shenanigans last week. Demanded an apology, but instead he got Bronson Reed, who he leveled with a knee strike last week. And that led to our opening match, Steve. He wasn't too happy about that, was he? No, I don't believe Bronson Reed was very happy. But uh, Roger Strong defeated Bronson Reed 14.05 via pin, Steve. What did you think of our NXT opener this week? I thought, I mean, you know, anytime you stick Roderick Strong out there, you can get a nice, solid match. Uh, Bronson got some chances to shine. I know he seems like a guy that they have plans for in the future. He's not quite getting those big wins yet. But I think it's it's going to reach a point here probably later in the year where he starts getting those big wins. And he got show off pretty well early in the match, too, which a big guy like that throwing around Roderick Strong, that, that usually works pretty well for people. Yeah, and again, you give Roddy some time with anybody that's at the very least competent. He's going to have a good match. So, yeah, they had a good match here. I enjoyed it. Again, played well off of last week's angle, which I always appreciate. I thought the layout was good. The only thing for me is I thought kind of after that opening flurry that it, like, lacked overall intensity, especially considering how pissed off Roddy was when he came out. I expected him to be a little more vicious. Well, you would think so, but uh, I can kind of see Bronson Reed being I can see him kind of wearing down a little bit. It makes sense. Uh, and he probably did wear down a little bit, let's be honest. That's fair. So on the screen, we got the Velveteen Dream. He had his jacket with his face on the back, and his tights said, Call me up, Marina. And he said, uh, Strong tried to end his career. So what if some, someone took something from Strong that mattered to him? He doesn't have the title anymore, but he has a family. Dream said that if something happens to Strong, someone somewhere could fulfill Marina's dreams. And then he's then showed off little Troy and Marina's faces on his tights again, going all Rick Rude, which I always appreciate. Yeah, we t- we kind of talked about this last week as well, and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of old school. Maybe I just have kind of a different moral system than people have these days. But uh, it's, uh, that's that's some chicken shit heel stuff there. Come on. It is very heelish, but like... <laughs> I, I I think I can let it pass considering Roddy did try to end his career. Well, so, his neck, you know. I mean, these things happen, you know. <laughs> accidents happen. Accidents happen, you know. I mean, things happen backstage. So know. then we went to one of the many Broserweight videos through the evening. The Broserweights were on a road trip to Portland with the dusty cup sticking out of the back of their convertible. Pete Dunn was driving, and Riddle was telling him he has to drive on the right side of the road, which led to the police pulling them over, and mm. and the line of Riddle saying, "I'll do the talking." Yeah, that that, that, that wasn't a good idea. As you that. can imagine, this did not work out well because we cut to the car being towed, and them both agreeing they had to figure out another way to get to Portland. Mm. I think I need a ride along with these two. <laughs> which one's actually going to drive though? Now, is Matt Riddle capable of driving? I mean, he's capable of driving. If if, if you ever watched the special on him getting signed to WWE, he drove the moving truck from, like, Vegas to Florida or wherever, Pennsylvania, wherever he was living to Florida. So. Mm. so, Kathy Kelly interviewed Angel Garza about his match with Leo Rush. He, Garza reminds us he did not lose his title. He beat Leo before. He's going to do it again. Leo interrupted, said he's not the same guy who lost the title to him because he's hungrier, faster, and stronger than ever. Fine little promo segment, short and to the point. 
Didn't take long for Leo to get hungrier and faster and stronger either. Well, that when performance you, center training, man, it, it does wonders. Well, you lose that championship money, Steve. And... <laughs> that's a fair, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, that especially that uh, NXT Cruiserweight Championship money. That's right. Next up, ladies' action: Dakota Kai defeating Candice LeRae nine thirty via pin. Steve, your thoughts? Poor, uh, poor Candice got jacked up in this match, man. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she uh, Dakota caught her. I don't know if it was a kick or something, but uh, yeah, she got caught in the nose, and there's uh, some red liquid coming out. This is a rough night for her, I would say. Steve, and, uh, if you don't know by now, you don't fuck with the big dog Dakota Kai. No, apparently not. Certified shooter. Apparently not. And uh, yeah, and let's face it, Candace is uh, Candace is good in the role of uh, you know losing people like Dakota Kai. That's kind of what she's there for, which is fine. I have no problem with that. And, of course, uh, this is building to her, towards a match of TakeOver where you got uh, Dakota taking on Tegan Knox with that big grudge going on, and uh, that's what they built to after the match. That's right. So, anyway, I thought they had a good little match here. It made the most of their time. Obviously, Dakota Kai winning the right call because she has the TakeOver match. Had the post-match brawl where Kai laid out uh, Larray with the ring bell. Tegan Knox arrived to make the save. Save, uh, they brawled until security pulled them apart. And that is the setup for, as you said, the big street fight on Sunday. They showed a video of, I guess, from a live event where Cameron Grimes and his hat were being an asshole to Johnny Gargano, which uh, set up a match for this evening, which was next. Johnny Gargano defeated Cameron Grimes and his hat in 13 and a half minutes via the Gargano escape, Steve. Thought they had a really good match. I thought this was the best match on the NXT show for tonight. And obviously the right man won because Gargano is facing Balor on Sunday. Uh, and Cameron Grimes, I mean, even when he does lose, he still gets to look really good. And he was competitive with a guy that has been a main eventer for most of his NXT run. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Gargano is uh, one of the faces of, the faces of NXT. Johnny Takeover and all that. So having a good showing against him is nothing to... Uh... Nothing to shrug off. Grimes is, uh, he's had a pretty good, decent run so far. I think his best time is coming. And also, I think it's good, even though Johnny's one of the faces of NXT, I thought it was good for him to get out there and have a good showing in case people forgot about that. Because uh, it's, it's been a while since we've had Johnny have a big old singles match on NXT TV. You know, and normally I would champion for a shorter match to give him a more dominant win. But the fact is, He's only worked select dates. I mean, and that goes back to 2019. He only worked like 30 matches in 2019 because of various injury issues and stuff. And yeah. then his his longest match was that uh, World's Clyde match, but that was a tag match. So, again, he's not in there the whole time. So this was an instance where I actually didn't have a problem with him going almost 14 minutes because, as you said, you need you need to get him out there and on TV every once in a while, but you also need to... You need to make sure he's ready to go for Sunday. And I think he was working with Grimes because Grimes is a guy that they trust. He's never been known for hurting anybody. So I think that they thought it was a safe match between two guys that are total pros to give them some time. Make sure Johnny has all the ring rust knocked off because you know him and Balor are going probably 15 at the least on Sunday. Oh, at least. At least. That'll probably be a long one if I had to guess. So... Uh, backstage, Adam Cole was telling Roderick Strong not to worry about Velveteen Dream because they will take care of him. But tonight, 
Cole planned on teaching Kushida a lesson in the main event, and he's tired of hearing about Tommaso Ciampa never losing the title and promises to do anything on Sunday to retain. Anything. So The Broser weights were in, like, one of those swan love boat rides. Because <laughs> yeah. why not? That was an idea, yeah. So, had a uh, video from the Robert Stone brand where Robert Stone says Caden Carter got lucky last week, and... um. Chelsea and she will have a rematch next week, and it will be the relaunch of their brand. Okay. I'm sure that'll go as well as the first launch of their brand did. So. And then uh, we went to our number one contenders match for the Cruiserweight Championship, Steve. Lear Rush defeated Angel Garza 10-20 via pin. What did you think of our number one contenders match? I thought it was uh, kind of what you'd expect from these two. They've had some... They've had some encounters before on on XT television. This was very similar to those. I thought it was nice for Lyra get, to get the win, though. I kind of wonder with uh, with Angel Garza. Um, I wonder what his future is on XT. I haven't. I did not catch Raw this week. So was he on Raw again? Uh, has been on Raw again this week or no? Because yeah, I he, he was on Raw again this week. So we're, are they phasing him out in NXT? Is that the idea to get him on Raw full time? Not officially, but it kind of feels that way. Because if the if they're doing if that's what they're doing, then it makes perfect sense. Is why I'm you know you want to use him, get the guy that's going to stick around over and set up the match for uh, Leo Rush and Jordan Devlin at the next show. That's right. So, and I speculated about this in my Raw review. I would not be opposed to seeing. Um, Humberto Creo, Rey Mysterio, Andrade, and Angel Garza in like a four-way for the U.S. title at Mania. Could happen. Uh, that would make sense. And uh, you can tell how much I pay attention to Raw these days, right? I, I don't blame you. So. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the way it is. Uh, Jordan Devlin, speaking of our champion arrived post-match, congratulated Leo on his good match. Tells him that he gets to be the next stop on his Cruiserweight title tour and that next week he'll show Leo that you never bet against the ace. Apparently not, the old, the old Irish ace. Is he? Uh, is Devlin going to be in America more going forward? Or It feels like that because he, he, he appeared last week, you know, and then he did 205 Live last week. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Devlin is definitely a guy. I know Triple H and uh, Sean are very high on from his NXT UK work and everything he's done outside of it. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets transitioned to NXT proper. It's probably about time for that, too, I'd say. So, uh, we got a really good video package narrated by Mark Henry to hype up Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic at TakeOver, which was uh, hyping up how, how they have uh, revolutionized the battle of the big men. Yeah, and I liked how they used Mark Henry for it. And it kind of felt like uh, some of those NFL video packages you'll see where they have to, like introduce the old guy and they'll talk about some of the younger guys. And it, it makes it stand out from your, you know, your general run-of-the-mill video package that, you know, you're usually tempted to skip over, skip over these kind of things. But uh, this one is pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that. It's a, it's a good role for somebody like Mark Henry because there are a lot of people that like Mark Henry. And Mark Henry is like a really good speaker. And especially when he's talking about shit you can tell he really cares about. Yeah. And, yeah, I thought this came off really well. And like you said, it felt different presentation-wise. Uh, it kind of goes back to AEW, which, well, like, I like those pack videos a lot because they're different than, like, a regular video package. It's just just not him outside in a regular video. You know, and this, again, was different, and I like that presentation. thing. It's good yeah. stuff. 
yeah. change it up. It, it's okay to, you don't always have to reinvent the wheel, but you can jazz it up a little bit from time to time. So, yeah. And Henry, Henry's very good at that too. Very good, good stuff. Uh, next up, Bianca Belair defeated Santana, Santana Garrett at 45 seconds via pin. Spear, chicken wing slam, <laughs> KOD. Bianca, don't fuck around. Man. She killed her proper like Steve. Yeah, the Santana's XT stint seems to be going pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that I don't know if that had anything to do with anything or whatever, but uh, boy, she yeah, it didn't go too well for her tonight. I I don't know. I know Bianca's getting a big push, and that's that's fine. But uh, wow, just wow. Well, yeah, Bianca's getting that title shot, and like. I think we've seen over the years to a point that it doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done to a point. A lot of people have to eat shit before they get anything in NXT. I'm and not saying Santana eating some shit. Yeah. And I'm said. not saying that's the right way to book people. Cause I think some people come in with so much skill and cred that they should just get a push. Like Adam Cole came in. He didn't really have to eat a bunch of shit. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying Santana Garrett's Adam Cole, but what I'm saying is I think that there are exceptions to the rule and, you know, but I mean, I thought nothing wrong with this. I mean, Bianca killing someone in under a minute before title shot, that works for me. It accomplished its purpose. I'll say that. And again, here's the thing. I didn't need to see a three minute back and forth match before she won. I'm not saying I've been, yeah, I'm not saying I've been great either because we've, we've talked about, uh, uh, Santana being somewhat limited in the ring, considering how long she's been doing it. Yeah, like the the, the slow motion spots she worked with Tynara in their match. Yeah, that probably wouldn't help Bianca too much, to be <laughs> honest. Bianca probably just would have got pissed and started whipping the shit out of her with her hair to make her pick up the pace a little bit. Okay, I changed my mind. I should have done that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Bianca cut a promo post match on Rhea Ripley going to Raw and acting like uh, Bianca doesn't exist. Tells Rhea to keep playing with her because she'll walk out as the champion Sunday. That led to Rhea arriving. They had a brief scuffle, and Rhea got laid out with the KOD. Bianca standing tall heading into the big pay-per-view match. Well, you know what that means. Well, I think we know what that means because of the whole Charlotte thing, but yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she'll get to look good have nice showing. We go back to the broser weights, and apparently Matt Riddle had found a private jet for them because he knows a guy. Sure. They, they load the trophy into the pr- plane, and then Riddle just kind of shoves Pete Dunn into the luggage compartment, and then we find out that it's the Triple H plane. Huh. Huh. So there you have it. Um, Riddle, you know, get, uh, Riddle getting around that bag search, maybe. Huh? Yeah. Um, as far as the uh, series of segments go, it was something that was okay to me. It was... But the I I like the idea though of doing something different, of uh, doing like b- different videos with these kind of guys to try kind of give them more personality, give them more of a character you can kind of get behind. I know Riddle's kind of had some character moments. I I don't think anybody really knew what Pete Dunne's character was before. Am I right? Am I wrong? No, I, I think, think you're right. I think a lot of people just kind of saw Pete Dunne as wrestler guy who goes out there and has matches and i think a lot of the xt guys kind of fall into a trap where they're wrestler guy that goes out and has matches i think if you do videos like these with guys like dunn and riddle i think it gives uh i think it gives the casual fan it gives the uh the the, the tv watcher out there it gives them kind of more sink their teeth into agreed yeah, I didn't think they were great, but I, I did find them amusing. I chuckled a little bit because I do like the dynamic between the two. So, 
Uh, Tommaso Ciampa was uh, sitting in a full-sale classroom. The same classroom he had to relinquish his title a year ago. Said that uh, he was concerned that he might have given up his biggest opportunity, but in four days, he gets his shot to win back the title he never lost. You know, what if Cole wins and goes on to be the longest reigning champion in NXT, but what if there's a guy who wants it more and has been been through so much more? He could go into Mania Weekend as champion the way it was supposed to be last year. And he said a man is more dangerous when he has nothing to lose, and Cole will find out how true that is. Thought it was a really good little segment. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, building up the rep- typical uh, promo to build up the upcoming match made perfect sense. So announced for next week: Chelsea Green versus Caden Carter rematch, Roderick Strong versus Velveteen Dream, which has loads of potential, and of course Jordan Devlin defending against Leo Rush. Another match I think that has a lot of potential. Yeah, and you'll probably see a lot. Of, I'm guessing a lot of your top. Uh, Guys on the takeover card will probably have a week off, I would guess. I would think a fair amount of them would, um, match-wise. And, yeah, we'll find out what happens. Uh, that led to our main event of the evening, which was a non-title match. Champion Adam Cole, baby, facing off with Kushida. Adam Cole defeated Kushida, of course, 1250 via pin, because Adam Cole was not losing ahead of the pay-per-view. No. I thought it was a good and enjoyable main event. Um, obviously, we got the right winner. Um, but it was also one of those matches that kind of felt like they had a gentleman's agreement to go out there and have a good match, but that they weren't really going to get out of second gear. No, they weren't going to hit that top gear. I noticed that as well. It felt like uh, one of those. It felt like a, a TV match, I guess. You know, not one of those matches where they're going all out, which you, you understand why. But at the same time, if you're Kushida, it kind of sucks for you because that's your chance against the champion, and you don't quite get the chance to go all out. So. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was hoping for a little more because obviously both guys are really great. But again, there's nothing wrong with it. And I also understand that you really don't want Cole going all out ahead of Sunday. You need to say uh-huh. a little something. So, I mean, again, I'm not complaining. It's just a point in the critique of the match, which led to a big stare down between Chiampa and Adam Cole to close the show and hype Sunday's big match, Steve Cook. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the the, the stare-down thing kind of felt a little flat for me, to be honest. And I'm kind of comparing it as well to Moxley getting the shit beat out of him at the the end of Dynamite. Compared to that, to me, this kind of felt a little flat. I think that's fair. I mean, I I think it... It served its purpose. It It was a purpose. It was a good visual to close the show, but... It wasn't exactly a hot angle. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was flat, but I wasn't like, it wasn't like I wanted to see the match any more than I did going in. Yeah. So, and that brings us, Steve, to the head-to-head comparison for the week. I would uh, let you go first, Steve. What did you think of these two shows? I'll be honest. To me, it it felt more like AEW was a show that's building towards a pay-per-view this weekend. I mean, you know, NXT had some good stuff on it. They had some, they had some solid matches. They had kind of a decent build towards Takeover, I thought. But uh, it felt like, to, you know, as usual, it seemed like there's more urgency on the AEW side of things. And you had them build up a lot of good stuff. You had the, the debut of Jeff Frickin' Cobb, which I mean, I think that alone rates it of NXT this week. And you had the kick-ass tag team match to open things up. And I thought Rio and Nyla certainly exceeded my expectations. So. Yeah, I, I thought up and down AEW just, uh, they took the week. I think uh, 
uh, for me, uh, any comparison you can make on each side, I, th- I thought they took it this week. I don't think it's it, a lot of these weeks. A lot of these weeks, it's kind of close. And honestly, honestly, me this week was not particularly close. Yeah, I thought this week's Dynamite was a really great show, and honestly, I think it may have been my favorite episode overall. Um, as you mentioned, we had the great tag title match, had the really good women's title match and change, which came off like a big deal thanks to the crowd being so into it. I thought everything in the ring delivered, um, and it just felt like everything was clicking. The Santana interview was really great and also something they should do more of. The Britt Baker heel turn is coming along really nicely at this point. And I also think they did a great job of setting up next week's show as well as doing some pay-per-view build because we got Dustin and Hager confirmed and they heavily teased Darby and Sammy. And that's I, those are all just big points for me. I thought NXT was a good show. It was easy to watch. There was nothing bad on it. A lot of good wrestling. They set up two potentially great matches for next week. And while there was build for TakeOver, I think that they needed to hit it harder. Number one, because it's a standalone Sunday show with no WWE pay-per-view to prop it up. But also, it just it felt like there wasn't a big sense of urgency to build up that Taker. It felt like, we're just you know, TakeOver Sunday, here's some stuff for it, and we hope you watch. It's kind of how the show felt to me. And yeah, I am... Um, a lot of weeks I have the shows extremely close, and uh, I'm with you. I actually had uh, had AEW better by like a wide margin, like over a point, I believe, in my standings. So, but um, yeah, I agree. I just, as you said, AEW felt like just tons of urgency, like they were building to a lot of stuff. Found it just to be a tremendously fun show, and again, I think, like I said, everything just. Feels like everything is really clicking for them after they had a couple, not bad weeks, but like flatter off weeks, and then it just felt like things have really picked up for them. It does seem like a switch has been flipped since the start of the new year. It seemed like towards towards the end of 2019, things kind of got a little got a little dicey uh, there. You know, you had the whole that infamous Dark Order segment, you had a couple other things that didn't quite go right. And uh, I don't know if the scuttlebutt online are, are, is true or not, but it seems like around the time that Tony Khan decided he's going to take things more into his hands, it, it seems like uh, if it's not him booking, he's at least getting people on the ball. I mean, maybe people are feeling more urgency. And that goes back to a point that Jeremy and I made a lot of the time. Like, I have no problem. Everybody likes, people like to make fun of all the EVPs. And all that shit. And I have no problem with it, really, as long as you run the company well. And my one big sticking point is, historically, booking committees tend not to work that well unless you really have a good head. You have to have somebody that is the end-all, be-all. And if Tony Khan has transitioned to that role, and this is what we've been getting, then it's all for the better. Because yeah, it it comes to a point eventually where you do have too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. So it's great if you have all these ideas and everybody participating, but at the end of the day, there has to be the one decision maker, the one guy that's going to edit out what could be the bad ideas. And you have to also be smart enough to make changes, like downplaying Dark Order a bit and then dropping Nightmare Collective. Yeah. And, of course, like, then you look at stuff that's really working. Like, all the Moxley stuff has worked well. Jericho has been great. Um, they're being smart about small things like Orange Cassidy. Because Orange yeah. Cassidy is obviously over and people like him, but you don't want him out there for five segments. 
Right. You, yeah. just, you get him in the right spots, and Hangman Page has really gone over really well. Another thing, weeks. yeah. Hangman Page has been so much fun. I love the story they're telling there. So, yeah, I mean, if it's Tony Khan, great. Uh, whatever it is, great. You know, to me, whatever works. Yep. So. But uh, that's going to wrap us up for that portion of the week, Steve. And now we have to preview the weekend because we have an NXT TakeOver special in Portland. Yeah. And we're going to start off. We already talked about one of these men. We have Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano, Steve. Yeah. Uh, two of two of the uh, two of the tent poles, I think, that NXT has been formed around over the past few years. You, you might go back a few years where Finn Balor was the top star. He was the champion for a long period of time, and uh, and then he went up to the main roster, and he had some ups. He had some good moments up there. Let's not act like his main roster run was a, was a complete flop, because he did some good stuff up there. He had some solid matches. He had some decent feuds. It definitely got kind of got long and tooth <laughs> towards the end, and uh, put him back next. He was was the right move, and now he's uh, a little bitter about it. A little bitter about not being the most beloved guy anymore. And that spot has kind of been taken by Johnny Gargano. And who doesn't love Johnny Gargano, for God's sakes? Guy's just a classic uh, white meat baby face, just never say die. Always has the top match and they take over, he's on. And you know full well that uh, you mentioned that's a pretty safe bet will go over 15 minutes. I think it's a pretty safe bet that these guys are going to pull at all stops and do whatever they can to steal the show. I I do not disagree at all. You know, uh, you you just look at this match on paper, and it it says great match right away. And Balor has been really good uh, since coming to NXT. Kind of chip on his shoulder, more aggressive. Obviously, I thought the heel turn originally on Gargano was really well done. I like Balor having that aggression now. And as we all know, Gargano is just a great professional wrestler. He's made a name for himself in the company as Mister Takeover. With just a laundry list of great to amazing takeover matches, match of the year contenders, both in tags and singles. So he delivers on these shows, and he's coming off that excellent tag match at Worlds Collide with uh, Chiampa versus Mustache Mountain. So history tells me that it's going to be a great match. You know, if Finn is up to the task and Gargano is healed up enough. I mean, sure, he delivered in the tag, but you have to remember he has been banged up. Uh, and I have it down here. He only worked 34 matches in 2019 and one so far in 2020 now too. So the good news is that he's been able to rest up and recover. He looked great at world's clod, looked good on NXT. If I'm a betting man, Steve cook, and you know that I am, yeah. I wager that we're getting takeover Johnny here. He delivers, but I think while Johnny may end up being totally spectacular here, he's going to come up short. And I believe Finnegan is going to take this one. That seems like the right move. I think that, uh, you know, Balor has uh, won most of his matches here since coming back. He had a little hiccup against Adam Cole, but I don't think that's the last we've seen of Finn Balor in the NXT title picture. Whoever ends up winning the main event, I think he's going to have to deal with Finn Balor going forward. That's right. So we're going to move on to the street fight, Steve. And, you know, a little story time here. You know, once upon a time, Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox were... They were the best friends, Steve. They were closest sisters. They bonded. They recovered from injuries together. And it looked like they were going to kind of stay together forever. And, you know, they could have even been tag team champions one day, you might think. Because they had the whole team dynamic down. But then the whole build the war games happened. And 
Yeah. Dakota Kai was, she was the redheaded stepchild. She was looked at as the weak link among the baby faces. She was shunned and not put on the team. When we get the war games, Mia Yim is mysteriously attacked. Dakota Kai gets to join the babyface team, but in the wise words of General Akbar Steve, it was a trap. Yeah. You know, Dakota Kai was the one that took out Mia Yim. She then turned on Knox during the war games, beat the shit out of her, tried to destroy her knee, and then bailed on her team. So, I mean, that was a great angle yeah, there. These things happen. Yeah, obviously. But, I mean, great angle there. Team Kick was officially dead. Tegan came back. Dakota lost her title shot. Um, cost her a title shot by taking her out of that battle royal. They had a really good brawl at Worlds Collide where they set it up out of the typical, hey, look, there's people in the crowd spot. <laughs> uh, they did that one match on NXT TV, which everybody was kind of fearing that they were going to end the program, and thankfully not. That was just a setup for here. I think they could have done without that. But the thing is, we're getting this match here. I'm a big fan of both of these women. Um, they're really good performers. They've both overcome a ton injury-wise. They fought back, and they're finally getting that coveted takeover spot, which, first of all, we know it's rare for to get two women's matches on a takeover these days, and it's also rare to get six matches. So they're getting that extra spot. They're getting a chance to shine. They're getting a stipulation that's going to not only play off the, the feud well, but it's also going to give them, I think, more of an opportunity to do even more to impress. And I think you know that they're both going to bust their asses to impress because they both have that big injury stigma on them. I think that the good news is, though, is that they're good friends in real life. And for lack of a better phrase, the good brother code is going to be in effect because we all know, Steve, that best friends, they will be snug and rough with each other and uh, then make up for it after the match. There you go. And there the, you go. They're going to be snug and rough. And friends often bring out the best in each other in these kind of matches. So I have really high hopes for this one. I kind of wish that they hadn't done that finish on TV. But that aside, I think that this could end up being at least very good, possibly great. I love this match. I'm going with Dakota Kai for the big heel winks. I don't think it's quite time for Tegan yet. No, you think Tegan's win might come a little bit down the road. I think that I also believe that this issue is far from over. I don't think this is the last time these two are going to go at it. And if it's not, then it just makes sense for Dakota to do something do something ridiculous. I think she's going to do something stupid, quite honestly. All right. Uh, she's going to do something stupid, probably. You know, for you know, something heinous, I think. Something heinous. Some kind of ridiculous act, I think. I think it's going to be something shocking. Yeah. Remember, Steve, we don't do blood and guts here like that other promotion. Although we did turn <laughs> Shayna Baszler into a vampire on Raw, but that's besides the point. What the hell was that? I don't know. <laughs> did somebody watch that Netflix Dracula show or something? I guess. No, wait, that just came out like this year. That's too soon for Vince. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you watched Twilight finally. <laughs> uh, and uh, next up, we talked about this in the uh, NXT TV review. NXT North American champion Big Dog Keith Lee facing off with Dominic Dijakovic. Steve, what are you thinking on this one? I think, you know, as as good as Dominic Dijakovic is, he's got a great physique. He does great moves. He's a top-notch guy. As, as much as I like the guy, I don't think you can take the bet off Keith Lee at this point. I think you got to keep it on the big dog Keith Lee. Is that what we're calling the big dog, too? Is that what we're doing? Sure. 
Yeah, we'll call him the big dog as well. Now, you got to keep it on Keith Lee because that man is just on fire right now. He's just got to run through all the competition. And these two guys have had some top-notch matches before. They go balls to the wall even when they don't need go balls to the wall. So I think this thing's just going to be off the chain, as the kids might say. They're going to they're gonna go nuts. Yeah, I love this match. I mean, these guys have a great history working together in NXT and outside of NXT. And while the NXT stuff has been really good, bordering on great, their outside WWE stuff tells me that they have match of the year potential in them because I've seen it. They have done some spectacular shit outside of WWE. And I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I like Dijakovic a lot. He'll probably win a title at some point. Feels like a total mistake to take the title off of Lee already, in my opinion. So I'm going with Big Keith Lee winning. Woo, woo. Uh, we stay with the title matches as we have the NXT Tag Team Championships on the line with Undisputed Era versus the Broser Weights. And I think this might be our opener. Excuse me, Steve, because Undisputed Era are one of the best tag teams in the biz right now. And they've made a habit of not only delivering on takeovers, but they tend to deliver show-stealing opening matches and really get these cards off to a great start. Um, I love them, and in my opinion, they never disappoint. The Brazerweights have quickly become a really great, strange bedfellow-style tag team. And they're, they're really fun in the ring, but the differing personalities have made also for a lot of fun outside the ring. I think they were the right call to win the Dusty Classic. Again, you're getting guys in a position to be on a takeover. These guys tend to always deliver on a takeover. Undisputed Era, they deliver on a takeover as well. And Undisputed Era is kind of rocked right now, Steve, because they lost that North American Championship. The prophecy's been broken. Yeah. But uh, have they been rocked enough to lose another one? Mm. And um, I could honestly see a short run for the Brazerweights with the titles through maybe at least Mania Weekend. I wouldn't rule out a title change. I think the match is going to be great. Uh, again, I think it may open the show. And while I may be wrong, Steve, I am going for the title change here to the Brazerweights. Okay. I can kind of see it ahead thing. The one reason I disagree with you on this is because I see where uh, Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle are going to travel to the Portland in Triple H's luggage compartment. And I just don't think that's going to work out well, well for him. I don't know if you ever had a bad flight, flight experience or not. You've had one of those tough flights where there's a lot of turbulence, a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you're on a crappy airplane. I just think that uh, traveling in that style is not going to work out well for Brazier Wade. So I think the Undisputed Era has the advantage there. Fair enough. Like I said, I'm you not... know they'll be traveling in style. Obviously. But mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I may be very wrong, and it's fine if I am. I'm, I'm just looking forward to a potentially great match. So, uh, and again, sticking with the title matches, loaded up cards, Steve. NXT Women's Champion Rhea Ripley defending against Bianca Belair. Steve, how are you feeling about this one? Well, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier, and I think the bookings kind of alluded to it as well. It seems like uh, Rhea Ripley's match to win. I think Bianca Belair, much like Mather, Mather showings on his takeovers and these big title matches, is going to get a chance to have a nice performance. All right. Yeah, I mean, and I hate to sound like Sam Roberts when I say something like that, but uh, I think that's I think it's the deal there, and I don't think it's time to take the title off Rhea just yet. I don't want Rhea to have the title forever like Shannon Baszler did or like Asuka did. I don't want her to have a reign that lasts 
forever, but I think it's still too early to take it off her right now. I can agree with that. And, you know, you look at these two and, like, Rhea Ripley's 23, man, and she has developed into a star, especially in this past year. I mean, you look at her change in gimmick, her change in look. The NXT UK title run was really great for her because she was booked as the top star of the territory while still improving, working at the PC and on the Florida Loop. She comes back. She gets to the throne, Shayna. She had that great Survivor Series week to where... She became a viable star, and the scary thing is, she's only 23, and she has a ton of room to grow. Yeah. That is the scary part. That's, you know, so, Bianca, you know, Bianca's a little older, she's 30, she has, I think she has great charisma and ring presence, obviously an incredible athlete with great athletic background. She's coming off that big run in the Rumble, Steve, she went 33 uh, minutes, eliminated eight women, Um, star-making performance for sure in that match. And, but the thing is for me is like, Bianca's done a lot of really good, but I think she's still looking for that great star making singles match. That's kind of eluded her in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think they can have at the very least a very good match. It could be even great based off the talent they have because they're both really good and they're both getting better. The key will be, I guess the, the, the real key is overcoming the fact that they have to overcome the shortcomings of the Tony Storm match, which was there was no drama and nobody believed that Rhea was going to lose. Yeah, that's a fair point. And that will be the problem in this. Now, sometimes takeover crowds kind of ignore that and they just get into shit. Yeah. And hopefully that happens here because that will help them to succeed because at the end of the day, it's too early for Rhea to lose. They're building up the uh, the quote-unquote rumored match with Charlotte because it's obviously not official yet. I fully expect her to retain here. Um, and I wouldn't rule out, honestly, Bianca moving to Raw or SmackDown shortly after this because she will have failed again in another NXT women's title match. And it doesn't seem like you can really heat her up again when this will be like her third or fourth title loss. And honestly, the women's division is so stacked in NXT, you could easily elevate somebody into her place. Yeah. And I think that's why it's a good move to move Shayna out of the, out of the NXT division as well. I mean, yeah. getting Belair out would be another chance for somebody else to step up. And there's no shortage of people in the uh, NXT lady system to step up, that's for sure. It's a stacked, loaded division, for for sure. No doubt about it. But uh, as far as I think Shayna versus, I think uh, Charlotte versus Rhea will be an interesting match at WrestleMania. And I've seen some people make the suggestion that, oh, they should make it a triple threat match no. and put Bianca in there. But yeah, they, these are the same people who were whining and complaining last year when they made when they put Charlotte in the uh, Ronda and Becky match. But no, now they want to put uh, Bianca in the uh, Charlotte and Rhea match. I, I don't understand people sometimes. Yeah, I um I have no desire for that. Think they should just do the one on one match, man. Yeah, I mean that. It's weird because you'll see the same people make the the same people make the opposing arguments. Well, this year I want to have a triple threat match because uh, I like Bianca, which is fair. But yeah, there's there's different ways to do it. I agree. So now we come to our big main event of the evening, Steve Cook, NXT champion Adam Cole, baby, facing off with former champion Tommaso Ciampa. And, you know, 
you have the champion versus the guy that never lost the championship. He had to let it go due to injury. Uh, Cole has done nothing but deliver in big matches on TakeOver. He had a match of the year, a couple of them last year. And the same can be said for Ciampa when he was uh, healthy and working before he got injured. Both guys are going to be coming in looking to steal the show as always, and they're fully capable of it. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think almost... It almost feels a little too early because I thought this was going to be the big Mania match. But, I mean, I'm not going to argue with getting the match now because I think it's going to deliver. And so you got to flip the coin almost. I mean, is Cole going to retain, continue rolling as the champion, or does Ciampa kind of continue his ultimate comeback story and get back the championship? I'm a little torn on it, but I do think that there's a little more mileage in Cole as the champion, even though Ciampa winning is a great story. I'm actually going to go with Cole retaining here, maybe by shenanigans, I think that's going to transition to him and Velveteen Dream over Mania Weekend. And I also think that Ciampa losing is going to lead to him and Gargano reuniting DIY, if at least for a short time. I could see that happening, although I also think that Ciampa is going to lose this match. I think it's more likely that uh, losing this match will probably send Ciampa down more of a dark path. Kind of the dark kind of side that we're kind of grown accustomed to seeing from him uh, before he got injured to be the kind of the terrible evil dickhead they used to be back in the day i think that if he loses this weekend i think we kind of start seeing him slide down that path and maybe that includes another thing with johnny gargano it always could but uh i yeah I th- i'm cole uh pretty good wrestler right pretty good pretty good stuff and i don't, i think he keeps the title I'm not sure. The Velveteen Dream thing kind of makes sense. Is uh, is Dream going to go after Britt Baker next? Is that, is that what's going to happen? Sure. Maybe he's going to cut promos about visiting his new dentist. Yeah, his new dentist and her friend from Starbucks. There you go. <laughs> oh, if he put a picture with him with uh, Britt and Tony on his tights, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> that'd be good. So I'd be behind that. That'd be good. I wonder how Adam Cole feels about Tony, like, macking in on his woman all the time now. Tony has a tendency of doing that, doesn't he? I don't know, I mean, first is, first is Dasha Gonzalez, now it's Britt Baker. The man gets around. And you know what? That comes off as greedy to me, because if you get to hang out with Dasha Gonzalez all the time, you don't uh-huh. need to be finding anybody else. I know, seriously, but uh, that's just but that's Tony for you. He can't help it. All right. So, Steve Cook, uh, TakeOver Portland, excitement level out of 10. What are you thinking on this show? I'm thinking, uh, I don't think it's quite the WrestleMania TakeOver kind of level. I'm thinking probably solid 7 or 8. Because there are going to be a lot of good matches on the show. It's not, I can't say any of them sounds like they're going to suck. It's going to be a pretty solid weekend. The main thing is, and I told you this earlier, it's am I going to be able to remember it's on Sunday? fair um I'm, I'm actually i'm pretty hyped up for this one dude i'm going nine i am like really excited i think this card has a ton of potential i mean balor and gargano can be great i think that um the world title match at the in the main event definitely has greatness on it tag match looks absolutely great on paper lee and dijakova could be absolutely great <clears throat> the women's matches definitely have a lot of potential to be really good 
like I said, I think the only thing that worries me about the title match is the fact of there being a lack of drama if the crowd isn't buying into Bianca at all. So they'll have to work a careful match and have a really great layout for that one to help. And hopefully the uh, traditionally hot takeover crowd will be like really into it and prop that up. Because if they are, that'll negate a lot of that. But I'm really excited for the match. Uh, the It'll be interesting, to, be interesting to see what kind of crowd they get as well. Because usually they're kind of... Uh, uh, they kind of usually put in front of those big pay-per-view events, and that's usually when you get those uh, kind of fly-in kind of crowds. I don't know what kind of traveling crowd you're going to get in Portland. Well, I mean, they did do a really good crowd last year when they did the standalone NXT 25 show. Mm. So, that was in what, Hartford? Yeah. Yeah, that's, a little, that's kind of a little bit closer to the kind of location where the hardcore NXT fans seem to come from. I don't... I mean, and maybe I'm slagging off the Pacific Northwest folks. I don't know. May I just have a bad taste in my mouth from stomping grounds? I don't know. <laughs> you know, after, after getting stomping grounds up there, they deserve a good show, though. Let's be honest. This is true. So um, that's going to wrap us up for the night, Steve. I want everybody to remember 411 will have live coverage of the show Sunday night, as always. I will have my review. And then after the show ends, Kevin Pantoja is going to join me once again. We're going to break down NXT TakeOver Portland. Uh, We'll give you our thoughts on the show as uh, best we can. And then Steve Cook returns in his uh, usual time slot next Wednesday night. Steve, anything you want to plug coming up column-wise this week? Oh, let's see. Up uh, on, let's see. Coming up, we got a botch column coming up. Those are always fun and popular. And, uh... The week, this week's top seven will feature the top seven iconic wrestling tattoos. There you go. Pretty, pretty topical because we have a big tattooed guy that recently made his return. All right, fair enough. So there it you go. It's not the best tattoo, but it's very iconic. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right, so that is going to wrap us up again. You've been listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, hit the thumbs up and subscribe button on YouTube to take us to the pay window. And until next time, I'm Larry Zonka for Steve Cook. We appreciate your business. Have a good week.